Good afternoon. afternoon. Grace and peace to you. But I will still submit to you, are we not creatures of habit? When Rick said, I'm not going to fall into that trap, and then he said, good morning. This is the morning scripture. We're just made that way, and sometimes we need these things to make us think, you know? Just to make us think it through. What would cause a group of people on a snowy January Sunday afternoon to come out to a place together? To get out of your little caves and out from under your blankies and put your cup of tea down and say, we got to go. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 8. I haven't said this for a while, but I'll say it today because, you know, Helen, we don't have to worry about getting home for lunch. <laughs> so... Oh, we're thinking about supper already. Wow, let's see. What, what time is that? About five? Five-ish? Five? Okay, we got time. Okay. I'm glad I can tease with you. Thanks, Jimmy, for the songs. And, of course, the song he just led fits in with our lesson, Not Ashamed. I think most of us understand what it means to be ashamed, although... Shame seems to be a thing disappearing in our culture today. Nobody seems, to, well, few people seem to be ashamed about things they do that are wrong, unreasonable, and just outlandish. They're just like, oh, that's, you know, that's okay. Uh, but we've had our moments, uh, in which we call uh, embarrassing, and we, we just want to crawl in the hole, right? We've all had those in moments when you're, no, they used to print in the newspaper, I think they do, don't do it anymore, about when you got a speeding ticket. Remember that? And then, of course, then you kind of got embarrassed if that was you or it was your spouse or your teenage son or daughter, and you know, oh, no, there's, there's the, there's the uh, write-up in the paper. Or uh, for some of us older folks, you know, it's getting to be that way. You show up at your friend's house for his get-together, and they said, oh, that's next week, you know, that's next week. And so you're like, oh, here we go. I want to share one. Uh, I was thinking about the lesson one day of shame and embarrassment for me way back. You know, I'm a baseball guy and played Little League. And uh, I forget when you started with the farm team. It, was it six or seven years old, Don, somewhere in there? Yeah. Of course, in the, when the farm team, you just got to wear a T-shirt, okay? Of course, that was a big thing. But then when you got old enough and you got picked for the big team, they called it the big team, and you got a uniform, okay? Well, this was my first year on the big team, got a uniform, and we got to play on opening day, all right, down at the field. And, of course, all the parents are there and everybody. They had the big parade and opening day, and we're playing, and... Uh, I got up to bat three times. Guess what I did? I struck out three times. And of course, you know, you've seen the kid. <laughs> yeah. 
And I know it was twice with the bases loaded. I know it was twice with the bases. Might have been three times. Uh, I don't even think I hit a foul ball. Uh, so, you know, I was embarrassed. Uh, but it didn't keep me from playing baseball. I came back, you know, I, I think I did all right. But, you know, we've all had those times that we just were ashamed. Now, in today's world, uh, Satan is using this as a weapon, all right? Uh, it's kind of like the world bullying us. We know how bullies work. They try to shame people by making fun of something that they're wearing or their name or something they've done. Oh, look, you fell down. Oh, you, you're clumsy. And, you know, they try to shame you for anything, make you feel bad. Well, the world does that today, and you can see it happening more and more. They try to shame Christians. And, you know, it's along the line, do you mean you, you really do believe in God? You know, like, nobody believes in God anymore. If you believe in God, you're just kind of weird or strange or you don't know what, you know, what's what or, you know, you're not uh, up with the times. You mean you still believe the Bible is God's word? It's really true? You really believe that? It, you know, it, we, we all know now that it's a lot of myths and fables and it's not really what Jesus said, you know, and they just kind of filled things in and thought, you know, this is what he must have said. You know, that, that's what all the scholars are saying now. And uh, you, you still go to church? Really? You, you still go to church? Uh, you actually believe in Jesus, that he's raised from the dead? I mean, he... Yeah, we, everybody knows he was a good man, but, you know, he wasn't really God. And you still believe there's a right and a wrong that everybody needs to conform to, that, that everybody can't just choose what they, they think is right and what they think is wrong? This is how the world tries to shame us. And that's what this lesson is about, not to give in to that and to recognize what they're trying to do. To shame us so we will feel bad, keep our mouths shut, crawl into our holes, and the only place we ever talk about Jesus will be in a building like this. And when we go outside, you know, we'll just keep our mouths shut and not say a word about the gospel, about the cross, about our wonderful and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what the world wants. Mark 8, 27, and uh, of course, God knew uh, what was going to happen, and of course, it was, I'm sure it happened in those days uh, that uh, those who believed in Christ Jesus as the Son of God, they were, at the beginning, among the Jews, considered to be a sect, uh, heretical, okay, and that kind of a thing. This is why Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the church. You know, these, these, this is wrong, okay? Those people, uh, we know most of them, stood up to that, and we're thankful for that. But let's start here in Mark 8:27 and see how Jesus brings this teaching together about not being ashamed of him or of his words. And it begins with Peter's confession. And once again, I encourage you, as I've, you heard me say a thousand times, and you know, you probably get tired of hearing me saying it, context. Context, context, read it all. Not just pick out two or three verses. 
Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And this is where it all begins. The key question of life for every person is who is Jesus? It's the most important question that can be asked. Who is Jesus? Now, you know, Jesus is kind of taking a poll here. You know who the people say that I am? And his, his disciples, you know, they've been out among the people. They've been hearing the talk, and they, they supply some of the feedback here. You know, and it might help you decide who Jesus is by asking other people. But here, the people had it wrong, didn't they? The poll was wrong. Amazing, right? The poll was wrong. And we read uh, over in Matthew, when Peter makes his confession, Jesus said, blessed are you because God has revealed this to you, Simon. God has revealed this to you, who that I am. So each one of us needs to make our own assessment of Jesus, and we need to make that assessment basically upon the scriptures. Okay? What do the scriptures teach? What do they say? Who is he? Look at the evidence. Look at the facts. It is the question of life. Peter had the correct answer. You're the son of the living God. You are the Christ. It's all well and good. You know, Peter, you know, and even as we've seen, as we've worked our way through the Gospels many times, the disciples didn't grasp what the kingdom of heaven was about, what this meant that Jesus was the son of God, what kind of a, a king was he going to be. All right? And we're going to see that unfold here. So at this point, Peter doesn't really grasp what, what all that means, that he is the Christ, the anointed one. You know, uh, for him, the anointed one, you know, prophet, priest, and king, going back to what he knew of the, uh, his ancestors, kings were anointed, prophets were anointed, high priest was anointed. So, you know, that's what he's thinking. Well, this is the anointed one of God. He's going to be king. But we're going to see he doesn't understand it all. So verse 31, all right, he's, he is the Christ, the son of the living God, as it was we uh, understand he uh, was confessed also in Matthew. He began to teach them the son of man, all right, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Right, Jesus knew that was going to be his lot, what was going to happen to him. He uh, told them that at least three times in the Gospels, it's recorded, that this was going to happen to him. And we just celebrated his death, burial, and resurrection. It did happen to him. But it says, and as he was stating the matter plainly, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you can't have just part of me. You have to take all of me. Okay? Peter did not understand what this meant, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Jesus goes on to say, well, I'm going to suffer and be put to death and so forth, Peter's thinking, that shouldn't happen to the anointed one of God. That shouldn't happen to the king. But Jesus is saying, this is my lot, and this is my future, and this is what's going to happen to me. And he really rebukes him. You know, how would you like to be called Satan? <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. He's saying, you know, Satan's putting these words in your head, or your th these thoughts in your head, Peter. You're, you're not thinking about God's things, but man's things. You're about thinking about protecting yourself rather than what God wants you to do, what needs to be done in this world to fight evil, to overcome sin, and to do what God, you know, the will of God to save people. So if, we want to follow, if you want to follow me, saying you have to set your mind on the things of God, and you have to embrace all of me, not just you're the anointed one, but being the anointed one comes with it the fact that I am going to be killed, rejected, and die. That's all part of me. Now look at verse 34. You know, Jesus, of course, he's wise. He's got the wisdom of God. He is God. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, it's like he's saying, all right, we've got to get this straight right now, okay, so you don't misunderstand. You know, Peter's just made this great confession, true confession, but he didn't understand what that all meant, and he didn't want anything to happen to Jesus. He's not going to die. He says, no, he's getting the people together and says, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's get this straight. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You don't want anybody to be misled. Jesus is always like this. He's always up front. You've heard me say that before. He always lays it out. This is the way it's going to be. You're going to follow me. This is what, what's going to happen. You've got to take all of me. Everything I say, everything I do, you've got to follow me all the way. Sacrifices must be made if you want to follow me. The first thing here, he must deny himself. Okay? That doesn't say you just deny some things in your life. You have to deny yourself. In other words, you have got to put yourself at least in a secondary position if you're going to follow Jesus. That your will becomes second to his will. Your will be done. You have to deny yourself. Okay? Then, take up your cross. You've got to take up his cross. A cross of sacrifice. 
Okay. It includes, I think, the self-denial. The cross of being willing to suffer and give things up, whatever that might be. We know some of the early Christians gave up their lives for Jesus. They, they died for him. They would not uh, speak against him. They would not deny him. And some, it cost some of them their lives. Some of the people in the Middle East today has cost them their lives when they've come up against some of these Muslim persecutors. They've died. They did not deny their Lord. So it is a cross of sacrifice and self-denial. And then it's a follow me. Be a disciple. Live the life that I lived. A life of service. A life of love. A life of giving. A life of helping people. A life of teaching the word, of teaching the gospel, trying to bring people to Christ. Uh, my life. Jesus said that, you know, my disciples will be in the place where I am. Okay? That's where they'll be. They'll be doing the same things that I do. Verse 35 can be a little confusing. A lot of people have asked me about this verse. This is the way I see this verse is what Jesus is saying. Let's look at the first part of it. But whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And what, what tells me the, the, the way I trans interpret this, the but is the key thing. Because he's setting one of these over against the other. In other words, they're not both saying the same thing. Okay? If you wish to save your life, you'll lose it. Here, I think he's saying if you want to keep your own life for yourself and preserve your life as it is, you're going to lose it. If you want things the way you want them, you want your life for yourself, you're going to lose your life. Uh, the footnote here says the word life could also mean soul. Can also mean soul. But then he says, but, you see, this is the key thing, whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels, you see. In other words, you want to deny yourself and serve me and live your life the way I want you to live it, then, what's he say? Then you'll save it, you see. It goes right back to the previous verse. He's just explained the previous verse. You have to take up your cross. You've got to deny yourself, and you've got to follow him. If you don't do that, if you just want to preserve your life the way it is and do what you want, you're going to lose it all. But if you lose your life for my sake and the Gospels, you're going to save it. You're going to preserve it to the end. So he's laying it on the line. He's letting everybody know, you know, th this is the way it is. It's not just, hey, I'm the king and everything's going to be great. We remember uh, uh, James and John. They were asking Jesus later on about, you know, in your kingdom, can one sit on the right hand and one on the left? You know, they all still had this idea of just going to sit there and rule and maybe tell people what to do and that kind of thing. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, my kingdom's not like that. My kingdom's not of this world. This is about loving and serving and sacrificing and teaching the gospel and fighting against evil. It's not about sitting, uh, sitting somewhere and telling people what to do. 
Okay. Verse 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, and this goes back to explaining verse 35, you know. You want to try to save your life? You want to gain the whole world? You want to become the richest man around? You know, we see some of these uh, men now, these uh, technical giants, you know, these folks who founded, uh, what is it, uh, Google and Apple and, you know, worth bil billions of dollars now. Oh, you think, oh, they got it made in the shade and all this. You know, I just saw it more, one of them now, he's getting a divorce. Uh, you know, that's what he's talking about. You, is that what you think life's about? You just want to get it all? But he, he asks the right question. You know, Jesus always asks good questions, doesn't he? You ever think about that? I think I've mentioned this before. You go through the Gospels, it's a great study just to, to look at the questions that Jesus asks and answer them. Marvelous question, the, the questions of life. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you have an answer for that? What if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What, what good is that? Is, what good is that? You know, without knowing it, People are trading their soul for all kinds of things that are just trinkets and junk in the long run. That's all they are. The world might put some value on it and say, oh, that's great, that's wonderful, that's marvelous. He's got five PhDs. Wow. Going to lose his soul. He's got $5 billion in the bank. He's worth $5 billion, though. Yeah, but he doesn't know Christ. He travels all the time, been on every continent, climbed every mountain, all the highest peaks. That'd be a wonderful achievement I saw where some fellow did that, climbed the highest peak on every continent. Great achievement, but if you don't know Christ, in the end, it doesn't get you anywhere, nowhere. Money. Fun, pleasure of all kinds out there. Power, hunger. We see power right now in Washington, D.C., don't we? We got people that want power. They don't know Christ. It means nothing. You know, the drugs, the booze, the porn, excitement. Some people just want to kick back and do nothing. Yeah, nothing. Waste my life away. Doing nothing. Maybe you can achieve that. But if you're trading your soul for that, in the end, it's total waste, isn't it? Total waste. So Jesus asked the right question here. You, you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. You've got to follow me. You've got to lose your life in my service. Because if you gain the whole world, 
and lose your soul. It profits you nothing. We have a song along that line. So that brings us down to verse 38. He's kind of summing it up here. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words. You see, those who would be ashamed of Jesus and his words would be those who are trying to preserve their own lives. lives make themselves look good in the, wor- in the eyes of the world. Okay? Pursuing life the way they want it. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, boy, we could apply that to this world today. You know, I think the world has always been an adulterous and sinful generation. The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is quite plain again. He's quite plain. How can I be ashamed of Jesus and his words? We kind of alluded to this throughout the lesson. You can deny, first of all, that you believe in him. I remember Peter denied him there, remember, after uh, he was arrested three times. I don't know him. I don't know the man. Who who are you talking about? You know, he was afraid to step up. He was ashamed at that point to admit that he knew Jesus. He had been with him. We can do that. Ah, you know, Jesus, oh, yeah, okay, I know who you're talking about. No, you're talking to me. We cannot defend his words to others. You know, when the topics come up where we have an opportunity, creation, do you believe in it? You know, Jesus had it, you know, in Matthew 19. Have you not read in the beginning how he made the man and the woman? You know, that says a lot. Because God created. It says he made a man and a woman. There's not seven different categories of gender that you get to choose from, or maybe it's 30 now they're trying to say. Just total ridiculousness. There's two. There's a man and a woman, and a man and a woman were made for each other. And that's God's way. Are you ashamed of those words? See, the world wants to put the lid on you, embarrass you if you believe in that. Way of salvation. What is a way of salvation? Still, so many who claim the name Christ still just believe all you got to do is say a little prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. The Bible does not teach that. You've got to have faith. You've got to confess. You've got to repent. You've got to be buried with him in the waters of baptism. And you need to lead, lead a faithful life with the help of the Spirit of God and led by the Word of Christ. It's all there. Various types of sins. You believe in a judgment? Jesus is coming back and he's actually going to judge us all. Separate the sheep from the goats. Some will be lost. Another way we can be ashamed of Jesus and his words, we can actually profess his name but live a worldly life. 
And we can walk about, oh, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. It's kind of what Peter was doing there before he learned more. He said, yeah, okay, you're the, you're the son of the living God, you are the Christ. And then Jesus said, wait a minute, this is what you've got to do. And that kind of shows that we're ashamed of him if we can't live the life he wants us to live. So there are Jesus' thoughts, and I encourage you to read that over. And, you know, his words are as true for us today as they were back then. The world is trying to force Christians to be ashamed of Jesus and his words. That's what it's trying to do. We have to stand up. We have to resist. We have to, and I've got it here in close, I am not ashamed of Jesus nor of his words. And I don't know if, you, if this would make you comfortable or not if you would repeat that with me. I am not ashamed of Jesus nor of his words. I am not ashamed of Jesus nor of his words. I am not ashamed of Jesus or of his words. Say that to yourself. Get that in your head. I'm not ashamed. He's the Christ. He's the way, the truth, and life. He's the Son of God. He's the one who saved me and he's going to save me. And he is the one that people need to hear about. This is the truth. This is the way it is. There is a judgment coming. There is a gospel and, and a savior and a way to be saved. And we are the ones who've been given that gospel to tell people, aren't we? Yes, we are. And so we can't be ashamed. You know, Paul, Paul wrote in Romans, the first chapter, I am not ashamed of the gospel, didn't he? For it is the power of God to salvation for all those who believe. Can't be ashamed of. You know, the world might make fun of us. Oh, you still believe in that gospel stuff? You know, there's people going to be saved, people going to be lost, judgment. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of my Lord, nor of his words. The lesson's yours. If you want to respond this morning in any way, if you need prayer, maybe as a Christian you uh, have been ashamed. You've not spoken up. You've done things. You've denied the Lord and... Maybe you just need some encouragement. You need to understand, I, I got I to do better. I got to fight. I got to stand up. There's people around me that need to see me living the life of Christ and hear the gospel. If you want us to pray for you, we'll be glad to do that. Uh, if you want to, you know, obviously, if that's been the case with you, you need to, to think carefully about that. Pray to God and ask him to help you do better to be stronger in those situations. If you'd like to obey the gospel and become one who follows this Jesus, accept what he says, you know. It's, it's hard, you know. It's, it's not an easy thing at times, and that's why he's laying it out. It's not going to be an easy road. You've got to deny yourself. You're going to come face to face with situations that are going to be hard. But it'll be worth it. If you want to follow Christ in any way, please come while Brother Jim leads us.